Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. Can you hang on a second? I'm so sorry. I need to mm-hmm. put Thor away. He's being a demon. Hey, you are being so noisy. Can you give me like 45 minutes? Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen that sur- that uh, Seinfeld episode, Serenity Now? <laughs> No. Okay, well, if any of you listeners out there have, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. One character's dad, he uses this, like, phrase, and it's supposed to calm him down, but by the end, he's just screaming it. (laughs) 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 I could use some uh, serenity now. Welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy madrid Sikich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, then tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. Speaking of publicity... <laughs> I love when new reviews for the podcast come in. And guys, I just have to share this one with you all. I literally just discovered it last night. So, okay, here is the review of my podcast. It's under the heading, Delightful and Informative. Haven't listened to season one yet, but I've been having a grand time with season two, all about Schubert's Winterreise. I discovered and fell in love with a song cycle a few years back, I'm always in need of an engaging podcast to listen to whilst doing yard work, and I thought, hmm, wonder if anybody's done a deep dive on Winterreise. Lo and behold, follow the leader. Mandy has a lovely speaking voice, (laughs) which I find hilarious, and she and co-host Brian have a great, amusing rapport. Despite loving classical music, I still have something of a tin ear, so I appreciate Mandy pointing many things I missed. And, of course, one gets to enjoy performances by Mandy and Dr. Reese. Heartily recommend. Zephyr CA, I have seen your review and I love it. (laughs) So if you'd like your review read on the podcast, then go ahead and leave one on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and send a screenshot of it to followtheleaderpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be sure to include it in a future recording. Today is a super special day because the one, the only, Dr. Tyler Reese 
who you have heard sing all of the Vinteraiza songs, is here to co-host this episode with me. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> okay, so my notes literally say woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> So without even seeing what I have typed out, you're on the same page as I. Of course we are. Tyler, what have you been up to recently? How's that puppy life treating you? Oh boy, it's good. Yeah, we have a a 10-week-old Boston Terrier puppy for like eight days now, and she's consuming our lives, but in the best way possible. I'm sure you understand. (laughs) I do. <laughs> Thor also consumes our lives. <laughs> I, like, I hate to break it to you. Even eight months later, it's like oh, still a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I hope the the middle of the night bathroom things stop though. I yeah, it will sleep. soon. Yeah, you'll be over that stage soon. Um, I'm so excited because the last time we had you on the podcast to talk, and I feel that clarification is necessary because, let's be honest, we have you on the podcast every week, (laughs) but the last time we entered into discussion together was for the Frauenliebe episode, like, way back in season one. I think that was, what, three years ago or something? Yeah, when I was still living in California. How can that, honestly, how can that be? What, you're not going to mention the time we recorded a whole podcast episode for this season and didn't actually record it? Okay, so I never told the listeners. (laughs) Well, I I think think this this is is the perfect time. This is a good time to come clean. So I'm not going to say which episode it was because I don't think anyone would even know. I will say it's not the episode where I appear alone because there was an episode that I just did on my own. Um, But there was an episode that Tyler and I recorded together. I think we spoke for like an hour and 45 minutes. You went to export. You didn't save the file. (laughs) And then went to export it. And it was not there. Our discussion was not there. There there was a recording of an hour and 45 minutes, but there was no sound on it. I don't know what happened. I thought about crying. I'm not going to lie. I did think about crying, (laughs) but I didn't. And I remember just thinking, okay, I am now in crisis mode. I'm going to deal with this. (laughs) I think it was only like 48 hours before the episode needed to go up. So Mm -hmm. um, I re-recorded with a new co-host and... (laughs) It ended up being totally fine. We actually have some iconic moments from that particular episode that I wouldn't trade for anything. (laughs) And now we get to have you on for this very special episode. Um, Um, Side note, though, the the solo episode, was that the the pop quiz of sorts? Yes, yes. Okay, I very much enjoyed the pop quiz. I I don't know if my husband did because I tried to make him answer all the questions too and he got none of them right. It was great. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Okay, so actually, since you brought up your husband and doing the quiz, I will mention I tried to make Brian do that pop quiz with me on the episode. And the problem was I was withholding his burrito until he participated (laughs) in the quiz and he got so so mad at me <laughs> that I ended up not having him on at all. Oh, <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> which is now one of our very favorite stories. Um, in retrospect, it was probably a bad choice to make him take a leader quiz for his food. So I, mean, I lesson come learned. on. We all would have gotten a, a grand old kick out of that. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, you know, in case any listeners have not heard the episode from season one, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners about yourself? Anything that you think that they should know? We had, yeah, we had many journeys together during our time in California. We often brought our song recitals on tour to various places and libraries and conferences and just had the best time. Yeah, we we surely have had a fantastic time. Um, Soon to begin again, because uh, rumor has it that we're going to be putting together Schwanengesang in the near future. Mm -hmm. Um, which we should set a date for so that we actually do it. Yes. <laughs> All right. In our last episode, we discussed Der Greise Kopf and Die Krähe, which means that today we will be discussing song number 16 of the cycle, Letzte Hoffnung. Tyler, are you ready to get weird? Oh, yes. Let's do it. As always, let us begin with a translation. Letzte Hoffnung, last hope. Here and there on the trees, many a colored leaf is still seen. And I remain before the trees, often standing lost in thought. I look at one leaf and hang my hope upon it. The wind plays with my leaf. I tremble as much as I can tremble. Ah, and if that leaf falls to ground, falls with it my hope. I myself fall to the ground, weeping on my hope's grave. In what is probably the most confusing sounding song in all of Winterreise, in fact, perhaps all of Schubert, we find a plethora of panic, a diorama of disintegration. This thing is weird in all caps. <laughs> I guess I'd expect nothing less, though, after coming, you know, coming after Die Krea. He's reached that point where he's wishing for death and sees the bird as a friend to accompany him to the grave. He's probably aware, after those type of thoughts, that he's a little messed up in the head. The song begins, and we are immediately sucked into a vortex of discombobulation. There's a lot to unpack here in just this little four-bar intro. Let's listen to it again for good measure. If there was ever a song that reminded me of a cactus, <laughs> this is it, right? It's so pokey. Oh, totally. <laughs> But here's, here's the thing about these little pokey guys. In the music, these eighth notes are beamed across the bar line. So it begins on the last eighth note of a pickup measure, though it's written with an accent. So we hear it as occurring on the beat. And it's not until the fourth measure that we realize it was, quote unquote, wrong. So 
as we've seen at various points along the way, the traveler is being uncomfortably provoked by these offbeat accents. In this, more than any other song, he is being poked and jabbed at by the weirdness. Also, this bit is very tonally ambiguous, right? There's just lots of diminished seventh chords lending to our insecurities about where we are tonally. The diminished sevenths leave us feeling that we don't know where tonic is. So, so far in these four measures, we don't know where we are rhythmically or tonally. And I think the traveler relates to this in the extreme. I think I relate to that in the extreme. <laughs> 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 your life and you're like wait how did i get here <laughs> for instance now i'm a i'm a filmmaker like if you had told me that i was going to have anything to do working with technology like 10 years ago if you had told me that i would have laughed you like off of this continent <laughs> but here we are it's been pointed out that these eighth notes sound like falling leaves which i suppose i can see do you think these eighth notes, like, moving down sound like leaves? I mean, I don't think I would have said that had you given me a hundred guesses, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things, like, I could have said that this sounds like probably not falling leaves. Yeah, I mean, to me, they kind of sound like um, the visual manifestation of fretting or, like, fret marks in Charlie Brown cartoons, you, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they have the lines that you can kind of see coming out of their heads. And I oh, almost, totally. Yeah, I almost see his anxiety, like, his fretful energy escaping from his skull, right? <laughs> totally. In any case, the stability of determination in the eighth notes that began the cycle in Guta Nacht, well... That's gone. What we heard as steady footsteps in the beginning has given way for an uncertainty that is discombobulating and wholly frightening. I'm going to just read this little section um, from Graham Johnson's Schubert volumes, which you actually gave to me. I this did indeed. <laughs> I actually ran across those pictures from my birthday party that year um, of me opening this and just... Weeping? Yeah, the tears of joy. <laughs> it, was, it, it was an epic moment, to say the, the least. The gift that just keeps giving. Oh, truly. Truly, I do not know what I would do without this gift. <laughs> so allow me to read from the gift now. The four introductory bars end with both hands deep in the bass clef. Bass clef? <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me. It's a Thursday. I'm trying to hold it together. <clears throat> Allow me to begin again. The four introductory bars end with both hands deep in the bass clef, tracing an uneven progress from tree to ground level. But events along the way suggest hectic disintegration of something out of control and collapsing all around. Any pianist knows the formidable concentration needed to avoid being swept away into disaster in these bars as the hand and mind struggle to dart and jab in the prescribed directions. That is true. The whole of this wonderful introduction, based on various permutations of diminished chords followed by resolutions, accents the very nature of life and death. In the winter of our existence, each of us will die, ripped from the branch of the tree of life by a cold gust of wind. This can happen at a moment's notice and in no particular sequence related to logic or merit. 
Schubert's achievement here is that he finds a musical means of illustrating the fitful nature of leaf fall as a metaphor for the random selection process of death itself. Here, the traveler focuses his attention on the fortunes of a particular leaf as a symbol of the survival or extinction of his hopes. As we are buffeted through life, our happiness depends on a play of the dice, a turn of the cards, a fall of the leaf. End quote. <laughs> uh, the thing that gets me about Graham Johnson <laughs> is that that paragraph is just so brilliant and it's just one little paragraph on one little page from the Schubert volumes that reaches in total like upwards of 2,000 pages, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about a couple of those sentences in there that are just so eloquent and like I couldn't dream of speaking that in my life. (laughs) Correct. Mm -hmm. I I use far too many likes to ever (laughs) get close (laughs) to anything such as that. (laughs) Uh, But I digress. Something I find particularly poignant about that paragraph is how he mentions that there's no necessarily, there's no logic or merit related to which leaf is going to fall, which life will be extinguished. And that really seems particularly appropriate for Schubert's, you know, situation. Like his personal situation? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The traveler begins speaking, and we listen as he points to various colored leaves that are hanging on this tree. We understand that they are soon to be falling to the ground. He comments on how he stands before the tree, lost in thought. He won't die standing by men manches bunter Blatt zu sehen. Und ich bleibe vor den Bäumen oftmals in Gedanken stehen. The vocal, like the vocal line itself is fairly melodic, which is interesting because the piano part is not. I think it's just an unusual dichotomy in Schubert. Like you don't, you don't find this this happening with piano and voice very often. And it has this feeling of being precariously close to coming unstuck, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Which is how it feels in performance as well. Uh, but I think that that tenuous kind of aspect of it is obviously exactly what Schubert was after. Uh, and I'm just always a little bit jealous of the vocalist because I would way rather be singing this than playing it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, me too. It is particularly perilous. Well, I mean, what you just said, like feeling like it could come unhinged is, Mm -hmm. I guess, how I, you could also describe the voice line. It takes some unusual turns. Yeah. It it overall sounds and feels very melodic when I sing it. But I, you know, remembering back when I first learned this piece, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, oh, that's an interesting turn he took with what what I thought this was going to do. You yeah. Know? It's one of those rare situations where it feels worse when it's put together. You know, usually with Schubert, you learn your parts <laughs> independently and you come together and you're like, oh, this is amazing. On this one, you learn your parts and then you come together and it just feels real bad. It feels you real bad. You have a panic attack. Yes. <laughs> Correct, correct. <laughs> so, you know... I don't think I've ever, like, had to hold my breath so much as this first entrance, because you're like, I only have one eighth note, and I don't know when it's coming. <laughs> I know, I know. It's and out it's of like, control. If you, if you don't breathe big enough as the singer, then you're, like, stuck. 
<laughs> holding your breath and waiting for the pianist to go, <laughs> but they're also waiting for you to breathe. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's a real tricky spot for sure. You know, I'm reminded when he talks about standing before these trees, I'm 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 reminded of when he's stopped to look at things before. For instance, I might be reminded of a linden tree. However, in this particular journey, he hurried by it, right? Which was much unlike previous visits that he mentioned that he stopped and and spent time there with the tree. And I'm also mostly reminded, though, of Rukblik when he remembers the day he left town and how he so much wishes that he could go back and stand in front of his sweetheart's house, hmm. uh, which is interesting because in song number two, he had commented on how the signs on the house pointed to an unfaithful woman residing within. But I just find these two um, passages fairly parallel. Like I never really think of one without thinking of the other um, when I'm performing or studying studying this part of the cycle. I don't know if there's necessarily a particular connection between them emotionally or psychologically for him, but probably there's something there. It's, I mean, it's, it is reminiscent though. I don't think I've ever made that connection before, but it is something about the, the, the vocal line is actually really similar in shape too, mm, mm-hmm. which is just interesting. What were you well, going to say? Uh, yeah, what I was going to say was this this whole cycle, it's, it's about the journey, right? He's very rarely completely still. So when he talks, I think the reason why I always link them together is he's, he's talking about standing in front of something and spending some time there. So that is out of the ordinary because, you know, we're used to hearing the the footsteps and the moving we're forward. Moving. And the, yeah. Mm-hmm, and the continuous kind of forward progression. And But here he really makes a point of saying, no, I'm, I'm planting my feet here, uh, which previously, you know, could have been a problem in the cold. You don't want to stand still too, too long. So the fact that he's standing here means that this is a really important moment for him to be recognizing something. What could that something be? Well, let's keep going. (laughs) One leaf in particular catches his eye, and he decides rather foolishly, in my estimation, to hang all his hopes upon it. (laughs) Do you ever play these games with yourself where like, okay, if, you know, the light turns green before this, then it means this is going to happen. Like... (laughs) Oh, totally. And it's, you know, like the times I can remember doing this, I feel like they were low points in life too, which Mm. just totally speaks to where this guy's at. Like you mentioned earlier, he thinks he's coming to the realization that he's not quite right, you know? Correct. And he's now he's at the point where he's pinning all of his hopes on a leaf that he's looking (laughs) at in the forest, right? Um, And he knows that that's not like right but he's still standing there like urging and wanting something to happen because of it yeah yeah absolutely and you know i think exactly what you just said how it can happen at a low point those those kinds of things because you're looking for anything you're looking for anything to point to the fact that you're gonna be okay but here it's just funny because I feel like he's almost like cheering for the leaf a little bit, even though he knows the leaf isn't going to win. Like if you wanted to look for a sign that you're going to be okay of something steadfast that's not going to move, choose a rock, you know, choose the entire tree, not just this one little tiny leaf that's definitely going to fall. He's not leaving any room for things to work out in reality. Yeah, well, and and I was also 
torn in the interpretation of this song too. Like, what is he hoping for exactly? Is is like if his leaf wins, does he die or does he? What is he like sane again or does he get a love in his life? Like, what is winning for him at this point? Because yes. he's just wishing for death in the last song, right? Is that what he's hoping yes. for here? Okay, so that's actually one of my last points that I was going to bring up, but we can talk about it now. I honestly don't know. Like, I I don't know what he is hoping for here because he's already mentioned that the grave is what he's looking forward to because he knows eventually he's going to end up in the grave. Maybe his hope is that it comes sooner rather than later, that the suffering can end. Yeah, this is like an inception moment at the (laughs) end too because it's like, you know, the last few words are auf meine Hoffnung grab, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like, is like weeping over his hope's grave, right? Like what does that mean? Is he alluding to the fact that his hope is death there or Yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to get to that. Let's continue where we are in the poem and then we'll talk some more about that for sure. Okay. Um, I was going to say, you can really hear the piano describing the trembling kind of imagery thusly. That's my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Is it really? Yeah, I think so. I was recording this in my office yesterday at work and there's a big window in the door. And I think I was doing a little like jig when that would happen. And I looked outside and there was somebody definitely like made eyes of me while this was happening. And it was great. That's hilarious. Um, Also, I love how he calls it. My leaf, you know, how he he now owns this leaf. He identifies so strongly with it. After the trembling, he declares very strongly, I have to say, that should this leaf fall to the ground, well, so his hopes are also dashed to the ground. The contrast between the leaf and the hopes is quite interesting. Let's take a listen. I would almost think that were I to compose this song, I would set it the opposite way, right? Like, why is he singing so strongly about the leaf and then so quietly and reserved about his hopes? It kind of seems backwards. I guess that's the genius of Schubert, right? <laughs> and also, I, I think in a way, this exemplifies the extreme dissociation. And in my mind, this is the most dis- dissociated I think the traveler ever gets. Uh, everything is just so um, out of sorts and out of the ordinary and not really kind of... Uh, linked or hooked into the ground or there's there's no real sense of grounding here until he actually falls to the ground yeah i think i mean this is from a performer's perspective too like one of the few times i have in the entire cycle where i actually have trouble trying to choose like how i'm going to interpret this song or how Mm -hmm. i'm going to perform it like i mean we talked a little bit about how the text itself is a little confusing but 
along with the fact that the music is so disorienting. It's like this weird place in the cycle where you just don't quite know what's happening. I mean, even by the next song and forward, there's very like, there, I think there are very distinct emotions that you can attach to the music and the text, but this is a gray zone for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we've talked before about how previously, especially after um, Der Greiser Kopf, we've entered into this dark, this really, really dark place um, psychologically in the music. And I think this might be the first time that we realize we are truly uncomfortable with that, that uh, perhaps he really has lost his marbles, right? <laughs> he is truly losing his mind. I think there's been kind of hints at obsession and perhaps a, a disassociate, disassociation from reality, but not quite in this extreme manner. And I don't think there's a recovery from it. Once he gets here and once he becomes this unhinged, there's really no, no coming back. Upon further contemplation of the reality that this leaf will fall to the ground and therefore his hopes, he becomes declarative once again, saying that he will throw himself to the ground and weep. Not for his grave, though, because we know that he's no longer weeping at his own death. He's kind of hoping, actually, to reach it sooner rather than later. I think he's weeping on the grave of his hope, that any any hope that he might have of perhaps rightness, maybe, living a, a life that was grounded, that's completely gone. Yeah, I mean, we get further and further into this isolated state by the end of this cycle too. I'm, I'm wondering like how much hope here might mean like acceptance, um, like into society, into families, into like a relationship uh, like that. I mean, I'm tying hope here to like those sentiments also. Yeah, absolutely. And I think weeping on the grave of his hope, it's honestly a little too relatable. <laughs> 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 right. I, that, I think uh, I don't know about everyone, if everyone has ever experienced this kind of thing. But I, I do remember a very particular point in my early 30s, realizing that my dreams were not going to come true. Like there were some very specific dreams I had for myself, you know, as I was a teenager and then in my early 20s. And there came this point where I, I realized, oh, that's passing me by. That's, that's not a possible future anymore. And I remember kind of having that reckoning. And I, I think it feels very similar to this moment where you have to acknowledge it. You have to weep for, for that, that hope, which is now in its grave. Uh, luckily for us, we are not on his journey and we can have other dreams and other hopes. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's, let's listen to what that sounds like. Let's listen to what his weeping on the grave of his hope sounds like. Wein, wein, auf meine Hoffnung grab. Wein, wein, auf meine Hoffnung grab. 
love this part of the site. This is one of my very favorite spots. I was actually literally going to say the same thing. Like, this is probably one of my favorite moments in the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. Why do you mm-hmm. think that is? Like, what is it about it that, that gets you? There's something so satisfying about the way it arrives at Vine here, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, especially after the crazy to use your word, discombobulatedness that <laughs> yeah. was before. Yeah. Um, like there's this, it just like arrives there and it's so declarative. And I think it's just like he he knows how to write a weeping line, right? And it's the- Correct. These little notes that you can kind of hang on to for an extra second, you know, mm-hmm. and then resolve downward. It's just, it's the perfect crying it motive. absolutely it absolutely is to me it shows the different uh manifestations of weeping you know when you when you actually phys- the physicality of weeping kind of manifests different ways and i think that schubert did such a good job of setting those various manifestations the kind of like outward um what is it? It's like an outward just cry, I guess. And then as it descends, it's that's kind of him sinking back down into it. And then he weeps again with the upward interval of a six. And then I love on Hofnung how he has the interval of a tritone there, which just it is it's off, right? That tritone is um Quite, unsettling yes yes um and none of that's a mistake all of that was was so intentional i believe on schubert's part and I, that's probably why <laughs> we like that spot so much it's so satisfying and i oh I, yeah i do think you're right after the discombobulation then once we feel this grounding actually i'm just realizing when i cry or have panic attacks <laughs> Maybe this is getting a little personal. Uh, I do get panic attacks from time to time. I actually place myself on the ground. That is my favorite place to be when I'm crying or, you know, having any kind of intense emotion like that. Um, The place I feel the best is on the ground. And uh, perhaps that's why I relate so strongly with this spot here. I don't know. My next question was going to be, what was he hoping for? But I think we've already addressed that. We're not really sure. And that's kind of what I like about this cycle. It leaves us more with more questions than answers. <laughs> that was very wise of you. <laughs> also, well, that's what brings me back to it time and time again. Like we've already, you and I have studied this cycle in depth together. Multiple like five times. years, yes. yeah, yeah, and there's still questions. I still don't. I don't fucking know. Half of it, like half of the brilliance of performing it, is that you get to make those choices as it goes along, right? Like, I you can't possibly do two of the same performances of this cycle. It's just mm-hmm. not possible. Yeah, correct. That is absolutely correct. And I wouldn't want it to be the same because no. that would get very boring. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and like 15 minutes or whatever it is, <laughs> like having to do the same thing again and again. Uh, let's go ahead and take a full listen. Bäumen oftmals in Gedanken 
Wien. Schaue nach dem einen Blatte, hänge meine Hoffnung dran. Spielt der Wind mit meinem Blatte, zitter ich, was ich zittern kann. Mit ihm die Hoffnung ab. Fall ich selber mit zum Boden? Wein, Wein auf meine Hoffnung grab. Ostrich uses this song as an example of why Schubert's friends might not have liked these particular songs. <laughs> Understandable. Which I think is fair. Like, imagine, you know, it's 1827, <laughs> 1828, and you're at a salon and you hear this song. <laughs> I just came to the drawing room to sip my tea. What is this nonsense? <laughs> yeah, it would have sounded very, very strange. I mean, it still sounds like totally weird. Oh, yeah. I, it, to me, it's one of the strangest, if not the strangest Schubert song of all time. You know, before we wrap up, I did just want to talk about the element of recording long distance and what that's been like um, for you. I don't think we've talked about it a ton. Well, you and I did talk about it a bit on the episode that got... Uh, <laughs> the last episode. ...sent out into the leader ether. <laughs> uh, we did talk about it a bit there, but um, yeah, what's that process been like for you? So let me back up. For any listeners who aren't aware, what I'm doing is I'm recording the accompaniments and sending the accompaniments to Tyler. I live in California. He lives in Boston. And um, and then he records himself singing uh, to these accompaniments with headphones on so that the sound is isolated. He sends it back to me. I edit them together. Voila, you have your performances on the podcast. Yeah, so the setup is complicated to say the least <laughs> uh yeah it's there's a lot happening I, I do this in my office and i've got the computer there that has garage band on it and the microphone that's hooked up to the computer and my phone that's got mandy's face and piano <laughs> on it and then the headphones playing the music and I have to have the music there's like a whole setup it takes me like 20 minutes to get ready to record mm -hmm. and then i just do it all 
Yeah. And what do you think has been the most challenging aspect? Because I know for me, recording by myself, it's been really hard to make sure I leave all the appropriate spaces at certain times. So I always make sure that in my mind, I'm singing along. But even that sometimes is not enough to get to give enough space or to be precise enough. So then after I record, I will listen to it and I'll see if I can sing along with myself. And sometimes I can't, and then I have to try again. Um, So, and there are particular things, whether I find rests the hardest thing, like to maintain the rhythmic integrity during long Mm -hmm. spaces is really hard, which is actually why I'm I'm worried about Imdorfa for you. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, this project would seem somewhat impossible if I if I were doing this with like any random pianist. Like mm-hmm. the fact that we've done this cycle together, you know, and we 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 spent a lot of time working on those moments that you know in live performance are like what it's all about. It's magical because you can take a little bit of extra time where you can nuance something in a very specific way. So I mean, we had a grounding to go off of, which makes this process a little bit easier. And and it, it hasn't been terribly challenging. I mean, I think actually some of the songs that I expected would be easier were some of the harder ones. And like this one, I was done in like 25 minutes recording. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, had, I thought it would be a very large commitment, <laughs> time commitment to get this one recorded. Yeah, I actually thought that this one was going to be very challenging. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it wasn't as challenging. <laughs> I think I I was pretty metronomic with this one. Um, I think the the one that we had the most challenging time with was Erstarung, actually, which I learned a lot in that process because I could hear how I wasn't as like crystal clear with the rhythmic integrity as mm. perhaps that spot needed to be. And I also think it's probably very challenging for you because as you're singing, like there's absolutely no give. That's the hardest part to me is having to sing with headphones in. Mm-hmm. And I I think my, I can't hear the bass as easily. So like the left hand of the piano sometimes is where the rhythmic integrity is. I mean, even in in this particular song, Mm -hmm. um, when we have Ach und Feld, das Blatt zu Boden, like you took a hair of time, like right on the bar line before that came in. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Love that journey for us. (laughs) Just uh, like I, I had the hardest, I had to like actually listen and not sing for probably two or three times to try and hear and feel what that baseline was like before I could actually sing and not hear it, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's funny because I did notice that spot when I was editing them together and I I did see how I was not like, I mean, it's hard because you want the thing to be organic and you want it to to have some kind of natural like human quality to it. It can't be absolute metronomic but um yeah that's been a huge challenge of of this project but i've been pretty stoked on it and um i mean i our listeners know i post all of these on youtube so if anyone wants to sing along with these and i i actually recommend singing along with them because it gives you a a deeper understanding of of what's going on um in the music i feel like i'm playing catch up with all my all you know all the students that we have taught and you know during the pandemic i Mm -hmm. i never took an online voice lesson or Mm -hmm. i've never given a performance or even a recital you know with a virtual accompaniment before so right this is 
a serious learning process and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It also just messes with your, um, like how you hear and sense your singing, which is yeah. interesting. Cause like with headphones in, you don't necessarily hear or feel the same things you do without them. So it's like you right. kind of just singing blindly, which is fine. <laughs> fine, but challenging. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> challenging. Well, I can't thank you enough for um, being willing to to do that collaboration um, for not not just one song or two songs, but for 24 songs. <laughs> still, still got a few to you. go. <laughs> Only for me. That is correct. Also, before we wrap up, I just wanted to announce for all those diehard leader nerds that are still listening, I will be hosting another giveaway. I'll be giving away a copy of Dietrich Fischer Dieskau's Book of Leader. All you have to do is write a review for the podcast and send a screenshot of your review to follow the leader podcast at gmail.com. I will be announcing the giveaway at our last episode of the season. Tyler, thanks so much for being here today. I, I mean, I should say, Dr. Reese, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. <laughs> and listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you just can't get enough Winterreise in your life, then you might want to try singing Let's the Hoffnung with me. <laughs> Good luck with this one. <laughs> you can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Click on the Winterreise playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's honestly the best way you can support the podcast. And it's the best way that you can be featured on the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! And then gonna have my little, you know, interlude. Okay. I if there's one song I can't sing the accompaniment to, it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I can't. It's it's out of my range. I can barely count the song. I just wait until the fermata and then I take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. As always. Let us begin with a translation. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, Look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.